to worship and praise You that it would be acceptable in Your sight. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's wonderful to see that we are taking up most of that space that we have. For those of you watching online, we have a little bit more space, so you're welcome. You're welcome to come in, give it a try next week. When I was uh, nine years old, I was riding with my my mom's live-in boyfriend, an unmarked police car. He was a uh, Houston police detective. He would often take me to spy on my mom because she was seeing another person. And so he would drive me up to the bar or the dance hall or whatever it was. I would sneak up to the window and watch and then report back what was going on. And uh, I'd ride in the back seat, less on the occasional time he, uh, he had to arrest someone, which was really fun for me because then I got to ride in the front seat because the bad guy was in the back. But one day, he drove up over a curb. He yelled at me, stay in the car. Next thing I know, well, it was just, it was hell on earth, yelling, screaming, gunshots, too, too close. I buried myself under the dash and I waited for it all to stop. Seemed like it was forever, but it was likely only a few seconds anyway. Eddie got back in the car and radioed dispatch for an ambulance. Yeah, no, no cell phones in those days. Uh, that was a bad day. But there were more to come. Have you ever wondered why the world is as bad as it is? I mean, even ordinarily, just five minutes of accumulated human suffering on the earth is incalculable. You can't even begin to estimate the level of pain. In these days of COVID-19, for some reason, it seems Worse, hospitals filled with emergencies, nursing homes with lonely people, news broadcasts that put fear into the lion hearted, the number of opioid deaths, alcohol related deaths, other kinds of addictions, shipwrecked marriages, poverty, suffering, not to mention natural disasters, floods and earthquakes and the like cause such misery and such pain. Now, believers all know and recognize that behind all of that is a malevolent and evil fallen angel, Satan. Sometimes we call him the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. Satan and his demons roam throughout the world doing evil and all the while masquerading as angels of light. And his dominion dominates the human domain in ways that we can't even begin to estimate. Daniel, we'll see in the coming weeks, even implies that non-Christian heads of state are guided by Satan. And Satan made a claim to Jesus Christ about his dominion over the world that Christ did not dispute. Not only that, 
you have to understand Satan's hatred for you and for me is ruthless. Make mis- <laughs> no mistake. If Satan were free to do as he wished, none of us would see tonight's sunset. So the real question is not why do nine-year-olds get caught in gunfire. The real question is not why are things as bad as they are. The real question is why aren't they worse? How many blessings of God have you experienced? Just this past week, do your good numbers outnumber the the bad ones? I hope that in this past week you've had at least one moment of levity or or laughter. You saw something, uh, a, a joke that made you laugh, or you saw the beauty of a sunrise or or a sunset or the green grass on your lawn, or I saw a double rainbow just day before yesterday. We all saw a heavy rain. Some of us consider that a blessing, some, some not so much. But listen carefully. All of those blessings you owe to the mercy and to the grace of God. Satan has no compassion. He has no pity. The Bible says that he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me tell you something. Lions do not feel mercy for their prey. Lions eat their prey. Often they eat them alive. The answer for the good in your life is that God Almighty is still on His throne. He is sovereign. He is loving. And He has a plan. God is restraining Satan and his demons. I mean, Job 1.10 tells us this, that Satan said of Job, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? In other words, I can't get to him because of you. God is restraining Satan from the wickedness that he would do. God has bridled him and reserved the full disclosure of his power until the end of time, until the day of the Lord. And God does this out of, uh, out of mercy and compassion for us. He does this so that some might repent and come to Christ. God constrains Satan and his demons from the violence that they would do if they could do. Have you ever heard or used the phrase, hell on earth? I mean, perhaps you were scandalized already that I used that phrase. (laughs) You know, Jesus talks a whole lot about hell, more than any other single person in the Bible. And do you know this as well, that one day there will be hell on earth. Hell will literally be let loose, or more technically, A day when the demons of hell will be let loose. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 9. We'll begin with verses 1 through 6. 
Revelation 9, 1 through 6. I have to say that Revelation 9 is one of the more difficult chapters in all of Scripture. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power, like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green plant, or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. What we have here is the opening of the abyss. And we learn from Scripture that there are already demons that are kept away in this place, the abyss. And apparently, at this point in this time that we're well aware of, the day of the Lord is here. And the fallen angel opens the door of the abyss and out of it comes this great cloud. And in the, as a part of this cloud comes these what looks like locusts filling the sky. And it, and it will come suddenly. Remember on my last appointment to uh, Ali Al-Salim Air Base, I was in my office when there, suddenly everything, that was kind of darker like it is today with some clouds, so to speak. But anyway, it just became dark. And, uh, and I went out and into a, a sandstorm. It wasn't a locust storm, but it darkened the earth in the, uh, in the day, which was a, an amazing thing. It's also a painful experience. I don't know if you've ever been in a sandstorm, but uh, it sandblasted uh, the backside of our four-wheeler out there, so it's not something you want to you stay in. Two weeks ago, Dan looked at the first four trumpets. So you had the judgment on the land that's going to destroy a third of the trees and the shrubs and the grass. And then there's a judgment on the sea where the meteor or asteroid or whatever this object from space is that comes in. And it devastates a third of the sea and a third of the ships. And then there's the judgment on the fresh water that is so powerful because we cannot live, we cannot exist without fresh water. And then there were the signs in the heavens and that was only the beginning. When you get to the end of those four trumpets, the earth is reeling, the heavens are unraveling, and the focus changes from heaven to hell. Revelation 9 depicts this releasing of demonic terror and destruction and death that we cannot imagine. The end of chapter 8, after the first four chapters, uh, trumpets sounded, 
we read this in 8.13. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels, as if a third of the earth was not a woe in itself. What must these next three trumpet blasts bring? Today we're going to see the fifth. Next week we will see the sixth. Now, I'm a hopeful person. I am a person that's always looking for redemption and hope. And nevertheless... Revelation 9 is desperately dark. But even in the darkness, there is hope. The first element of hope that I see here is that you will have noticed that the action starts with the sound of the trumpet. In that, if you understand what that means, it means that heaven has the initiative here. Heaven keeps it. Everything that happens to you and everything that happens to me now under Christ in the form of discipline or in that day in the form of judgment begins with a heavenly command. God is not caught by surprise. Not only is he not caught by surprise, he determinedly uses it to do something in your life. And even though the horror that is about to be unleashed in the earth in the terms of the God's just wrath, he remembers mercy. I mean, if you look down to verse 21, which we're not covering today, but it implies that the reason for these judgments, the reason for these is exactly the same as they were for Egypt and Moses. It was to bring repentance. But we see that they would not. Second, I want you to note that the star had fallen. Now, a lot of preachers don't even go here because they don't bother trying to figure out who this is. A lot of them say it's a good angel. That surprises me a little bit, but they do. A lot of them say it's a bad angel. A lot of them say it's a political leader. I'm, I, I don't think we've met any political leaders here that have fallen from heaven, but we have sufficient clues in the Bible to have a good idea. And the first thing to note, and one of the rare times you hear me preach all the time, you know that I don't use grammar. I use words. I love words. I don't use grammar very much. But you need to understand that in the original language here, this word is, uh, the verb tense is perfect. So if you know that means that it's something that has already taken place in the past, but it has an ongoing impact in the present. And so what we have here is an angel who has already fallen. In other words, he's not falling here at the fifth trumpet. This has already happened. So we see this star, right? This fallen star. And the star symbol here is is often in the Bible refers to angels in Job 38, 7. While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. This star was one of these angels had already fallen and is also clearly intelligent. 
I mean, in that opening, the opening of the lock, the receiving of the key, that shows purpose, that shows intent. And he unlocks the abyss and he frees a demonic horde upon the earth to savage humanity. In Isaiah fourteen twelve, we read, How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star? Son of the dawn, you've been cast down to the earth, you who were once laid, you who once laid low the nations. I mean, Satan is called the morning star. He's called the son of the dawn. And then in Revelation 12, which our brother John Preston will speak on in a couple of weeks, depicts him as a dragon that was thrown to the earth. Jesus in Luke 10:18 says this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He had already fallen. And we all know that he has an ongoing impact. So the star that unlocks the abyss is, at least in my mind, none other than Satan. This word abyss, abusos, it means bottomless. That's why we call it the bottomless pit. It is a pit with, without a bottom. It has no bottom. And it's used seven times in the book of Revelation. And in each time, it talks about it as being a prison for the demons. When they come out, these demons come out. I'm reminded uh, just last year we went up to Carlsbad Caverns. And you can get, if you've been there, you can get a ticket to watch the bats come out. Now, if you come at high season... There are more than a million bats that come out of this cave. And that is a, 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 an awesome and frightening scene at the same time. That's the only thing that I can even begin to compare this with. But this prison for these demons is where, and you need to understand this, is where especially corrupt demons are punished. Okay, Unlike other demons, they were already thrown into the pit. So these demons haven't been out on the earth. These demons aren't the ones that harass and deceive people. They're not. They're locked, they're, they're locked away. And there are demons on the earth and in the air, and there are two other places. Now, they can go to heaven. Satan can still get into heaven. Do you believe that? Is that crazy to you? It's crazy to me. But he is the, what is he? The accuser of the brethren. That he delights, he delights when one falls. He takes special joy in that. And he wants the Lord to know what his creation is doing and not in a good way. But there are two other places where demons are located. First, Peter talks about them being located in one place called Tartarus. In Greek mythology, this is a place of uh, exquisite torment. And Peter uses that word. And this is a place that's specially reserved for uh, demons. Uh, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. Now, those demons in Tartarus, unless you go 
uh, unless one is in the lake of fire, will never see these demons. Whatever it was they did was so heinous that God said, no, you're done. You're, you're just done. That's it. Well, their next home from Tartarus is the lake of fire. And that's all there is to that. But what about this abyss? There is another place where we, where we see the second and closer to our text. Jesus confronted, you remember when he confronted the demoniac, the, the, the demon at the uh, Gadarenes? Matthew 8, 29 says this, What do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? And then Luke it tells us that Jesus asked him, What is your name? I have to believe that that made a difference to Jesus as to what he was about to do. <laughs> Legion, he replied, because many uh, demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly, continually. They were begging him something. And that was this. Do not order us into the abyss. First, they were afraid of the abyss. They did not want to go there. I mean, they possessed this man. They tortured him. And then when he was sent into the pigs, what did they do? The first thing they did was they went into the water and drowned all the pigs. So there's a second thing I want you to notice. Whatever boundary it was that it took to go to the abyss, they hadn't crossed it. Because Jesus didn't send them there. So what I'm trying to do is give you a level of evil. So that you can understand that the demons who had been sent to the abyss that are going to be released are far worse than Legion ever thought about being. What was the crime to go to the abyss? I don't know. I have no idea. But I know this. That the abyss is populated by the vilest creatures that will ever be unleashed upon the earth. And there are so many of them that they're going to darken the sunlight out of the sky. And they've been locked up for a long time. And they're angry. And they are hungry to do harm. You know, um, the entirety of the book of Joel describes a locust invasion, unlike any that we've seen in human history. It was like a, a mighty, innumerable army riding in order, row upon row, not swerving to the left or to the right, but, but moving forward. I think it was just not this last century, but it was in the late 1800s. I know there was one in the 1950s, but there was a locust invasion over in Syria, Iraq, in that area, Turkey, and in that, that decimated hundreds of thousands of square miles of uh, green, whatever was green, just ate it up. This is just an enormous uh, destruction that was witnessed then. And Revelation 9 gives us a similar uh, image, only now it's, it's locusts. Um, it's not locusts. 
Locusts is the only way he can describe it, is demons. Then in 3 John, he captures a second image. These locusts, he also says something about them as it relates to scorpions having a a poisonous stinger uh, that can occasionally kill, but usually just inflict inflict, uh, great pain. Anybody, any hands go up? No, no scorpion bites out there, stings. Oh, we got, got at least one. When I was a boy, my mom's boyfriend, same guy as before, he built a house here in Sugarland, and we would, we would come out and we would dig post holes and we would clear brush and we would help with those kind of things. But there wasn't any sheltered place to sleep, so Mom and uh, Eddie would sleep in the cab of the truck, and the three of us boys we would sleep underneath the truck. And well, you can, you can imagine. I mean. It's Texas, right? I mean, it's hot. So we didn't sleep with anything on. I mean, we just crawled up under the truck and went to, went to sleep. And one night, I woke up. Something was scratching on my back. And I was sound asleep, but I, I, I woke up and boom, hit the head, my head on the undercarriage. Looked down there, and in the moonlight, there was three scorpions. Their little tails all hooked up like this. And they were running around in a circle. Underneath where I was laying down. Now, <laughs> let me tell you right now, in New York second, that's slow. <laughs> I was out from under there. I was banging on the, on the truck door as hard as I could. And a very unhappy mama let me in, let me in the back of the truck. I wasn't going back out there. No, no, no chance at all. But I want you to notice something here in the text. And that's, once again, the beauty of God's sovereignty on display. These demons, these vile demons, we don't even know the vileness that they can create, that are let loose on the earth, are still constrained. They're not allowed to do what they want to do. They're allowed to do what God allows them to do. They are not to harm the grass of the earth. They are not to harm any plants or trees. And they are also not to harm the 144,000 that we already talked about, or by implication, those who had come to Christ under the 144,000's ministry. They would only torment those who were unbelievers. That's a fascinating thing to me because you know what? The demons didn't care. Evil ultimately consumes itself. Evil, it simply operates on how to maintain power and it does not care. This is why, this is the whole point of Tolkien's book, The Lord of the Rings. No one, even the most innocent of hobbits, can handle real power. Can't do it. Not even evil. He lets them go, but they're nevertheless constrained. They can harm them, but only for five months. And there's a fascinating text in here, too. I'm not sure what to make of it, but apparently... People will long to die. But it seems to me that somehow supernaturally 
they are not able to. They are not able to die even by their own hand. That's by implication. But look at the text. And apparently, medicine will not give them any relief. Apparently, this is just a, a horrible way of suffering. And for five months, this lasts. Now, nobody knows precisely what these... We know they're demons. We don't know precisely what their form will be. And John doesn't really, uh, really either. Look at verses 9, 7 through 10. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. How Lindsay was convinced these were cobra attack helicopters. Now, I have no idea. I don't think he's talking about war here, by the way. I, I, I don't. I think this is something supernatural that is, that is happening here. Uh, they had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. Language has limits. Paul says this, we see through a glass darkly, and John did the best that he could. But they're all similes. Did you notice that? He says they looked like, they had something like, they resembled this, they had hair like, breastplates like. It's impossible to perfectly describe, but we can take the meaning from them quite accurately. Even though we may not be able to visualize them accurately, we can know them because horses, especially when you look at it from the ancient Near East perspective, they were powerful, they were mighty, they were bold. Crowns mean nothing but authority and rule. Faces like human means that they were rational. They were intelligent. They devised plans. Hair like women, I'll say more about that in just a second, but not now. Teeth like lions, ready to shred flesh. Breastplates like iron, impenetrable. Thundering wings, deafening, mobile. They could move quickly where they want. What's the point of all this? There is no escape. You can run, but you cannot hide. With the... Uh, the Smoky, the gunship, something. I was their chaplain for a while on, on one deployment, and they gave me a T-shirt, which was their, which was their motto, and it said, uh, "You can run, but you'll just die tired." You cannot escape from these guys. They're going to be there. There's nowhere to hide. In the 1980s, Ronald Reagan famously referred to the Soviet Union as the evil empire. If you were a Roman at the time of Christ, you would have considered the Parthian Empire to be the evil empire. They were fierce warriors. They had already defeated the Roman generals Cassius and Mark Antony. And for a hundred years after Christ, they fully expected, the Romans fully expected, at any day the Parthians would attack Rome itself. And many of John's description reflects them. 
especially their practices, in particular their bowmen, were able to shoot from the chariots and from horses backwards, which is an amazing thing. And they poisoned the tips of their arrows that sometimes did not kill, but would always leave excruciating pain. Interestingly enough, they had long flowing hair. And some historians even say that they ground their teeth into points. And so while John was not talking about the Parthians, he was certainly using imagery that would produce an emotional context. You need to be afraid. Why? So that you might repent. God is, doesn't want you to be fearful in order to be fearful. He wants you to, the fear to be used to bring you to Him. But, the wondrous thing about all this is, is now it will be then. Demons are always under a leash. God's sovereign power gives way to nothing. And finally, Satan will tolerate no king but himself. So in Revelation 9-11, they, they had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew was Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. These two words mean the same thing, the destroyer. And this text reveals his power and his nature. He is the ruler over all demons. Now listen, some people say, no, these are two separate angels. That's fine, that's good. But do you think Satan would have a king? <laughs> I do not. Power, evil power is to be in power and to be in control. Later, of course, we see that he is thrown into the lake of, uh, or actually he's thrown into the abyss for a thousand years, for the millennium. He'll be in the abyss himself and then later into the lake of fire. But that's another sermon. In Jesus' shepherd discourse in John 10, Jesus contrasts himself with the thief. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy Apollyon, Abaddon. But, he goes on to say, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. Now did Jesus accomplish this? By giving his life on the cross. By raising from the dead so that if you believe, you will have everlasting the life, the the world has been and will continue to be a place of suffering. But it is also a place of repentance. It is also a place of joy. And my appeal to you is to come to Christ now because He came not to condemn you, but to save you. Turn to Him now. We don't know when the great and terrible day of the Lord will be, but it will be. And I believe that it will be sooner than later. Turn to Him now and not then. I can't even imagine. Father, this is a difficult text. It's difficult to find joy and peace in there, but we do. We find the joy that we have because You're in control. 
the suffering that we experience here on this earth, not only is it temporary, not only is it used to deepen us spiritually in our commitment to you and with you, but Lord, it and your love that brought it bring us to repentance. And we pray that no one, no one, who hears this word will not trust or have already trusted in Jesus Christ. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.